When I was a child, one of the things I always looked forward to living in southeast Indiana when I was a little kid was on Friday night when my dad would get his paycheck because that's when we'd all, the whole family, go to the grocery store. Now, I didn't care too much about what other things there were. I just knew that at the end of that uh, grocery shopping, if I was a good boy, uh, and my sister and brother were too, we'd get a candy bar. And so that was what we were looking forward to. Well, one, one night we, we went to the local A&P grocery store. Anybody remember A&P grocery stores? Yeah, I remember, remember going to the A&P. And they had a new invention at that grocery store back in the 60s. It was one of those doors that if you stood on this plate, it would open. That was a newfangled thing. The automatically opening doors. Now, not the laser kind that go like this. You had to step on this pressure plate and it would open up. My little brother, he didn't have any sense. He was just a little kid. (laughs) I don't think he's watching this video today. But anyway, he didn't have any sense. And he went inside the store through the outdoor and smacked him right in the face and blood. Boy, I tell you, if you get smacked in the face, you know blood's going to come everywhere. He was bleeding everywhere, and he was screaming his head off. And, you know, uh, we had to go to the emergency room and get him all sewed up. You know, I don't remember very many things in my childhood, but I remember that because I didn't get my candy bar that (laughs) night. It stuck in my brain for some reason. He got smacked in the face by... A door. You know, in, in our study in the book of Acts, we are, we've just finished uh, Paul's first missionary journey with Paul and Barnabas, and then chapter 15 was the church council where they decided uh, the issue about the Gentiles and circumcision and the keeping of the law, and all that was settled. And, and Paul and Barnabas went back up to Antioch, uh, the church that sent them out, and they spent some time there. And while they were ministering in Antioch, God begins to stir the heart to get out on the road again. Let's join them and discover the open doors that God sets before them in Acts chapter 15, verse 34. And then I'll, I'll read through chapter 16, verse 10. Acts 15, verse 34. However, it seemed good to Silas to remain there. Paul and Barnabas also remaining in Antioch, teaching and preaching the word of the Lord with many others also. Then after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let's uh, now go back and visit our brethren in every city where we've preached the word of the Lord and see how they're doing. Now Barnabas was determined to take with him John called Mark, but Paul insisted that they should not take with them the one who had departed from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. Then the contention became so sharp that they parted from one another. And and so Barnabas took Mark and sailed to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and departed, being commended by the brethren to the grace of God. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. Then he came to Derbe and Lystra. And behold, a certain disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a certain Jewish woman who believed, but his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brethren who were at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted to have him go on with him. 
And he took with him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in that region, for they all knew that his father was Greek. And as they went through the cities, they delivered to them the decrees to keep, which were determined by the apostles and elders at Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and increased in number daily. Now, when they had gone through Phrygia and the region of Galatia, they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. After they had come to Mysia, they tried to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit did not permit them. So passing by Mysia, they came down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A a man of Macedonia stood, pleaded with him, saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. Now after he had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go to Macedonia, concluding that the Lord had called us to preach the gospel to them. Let's pray. Lord, we come into your presence and thank you for the scripture that is open before us. I pray that, God, the lessons that we learn from Paul and Barnabas and from the ministry of revisiting the churches and the Macedonian vision, God, you would use something today to convict us or to comfort us or to encourage us or to lead us. I pray you would use your word as as it's open before us. May our hearts be open to. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to look first at the dispute of Paul and Barnabas. Notice with me in verses 36 to 31. Paul and Barnabas agreed that, yes, we need to go back and visit those churches where we had uh, established on that first missionary journey. They had agreed on that, but Barnabas wanted to take along Mark. Now, Mark was Barnabas's younger cousin, And remember in the first missionary journey that the source of this dispute was how Mark had deserted them on that missionary journey. But Barnabas thought that we ought to give this guy another chance. And so he was determined, as a matter of fact, he he kept on insisting that they take Mark along. Now, family has a lot to do with this. But I think more than that relationship, uh, Barnabas wanted to take Mark because that was his nature. The name of Barnabas was actually Joseph. Barnabas was his nickname. And the word Barnabas in Hebrew actually means son of encouragement. So that was given to him by the rest of the disciples because that was his character. Just like somebody that has a, a character for always smiling, we call him Smiley, you know, or someone who is uh, tall, we call him uh, uh, Stilt or something like that. And we're, we're going to stop right there. <laughs> we're not going to talk about the other end of the spectrum short. Uh, but he was always encouraging people, and that was just his nature. So he thought that he could do him some good. And so he kept on insisting, we've got to take Mark along, Paul. And then Paul was just as adamant and said, we're not going to take Mark. Because remember what he did on that first missionary journey when we were in Pamphylia? We were about ready to go into new territory, and he went home to Mama. He was, he was a crybaby. He was wanting to go back and not fit for the journey. So they, they kept on disputing about this. Paul felt that the ministry was too important and the work too demanding to enlist someone 
who might prove unreliable the second time. Well, the, the word that was used here, contention, is the Greek word paroxysm. And it, and it shows that it was really getting a little, little uh, very heated and they were standing fast on their opinion. So they decided, we're going to have to not agree on this. So what Barnabas did, he took Mark and they sailed to Cyprus to do ministry. And Paul chose another missionary by the name of Silas to revisit the churches up in Syria and Cilicia. Silas was called the chief man in the church. He was also called a prophet. He was one of the ones down in Jerusalem that was, was chosen to take the message up to Antioch about the council of Jerusalem's decision about the Gentiles. And Silas was a good man. As a matter of fact, we find out later that he happened to be co-author with Paul of the Thessalonian epistles and was the secretary for Peter's first epistle. And Silas was also a Roman citizen, just like Paul was, and that would come in handy as they go into the Roman Empire. Well, what, we, what can we learn about this decision, of this dispute between Paul and Barnabas? The first thing that we can, we can do is we need to be careful in assessing blame. You know, some people say, well, Barnabas was wrong because Paul was the apostle. And, and some people say, well, Paul was a little bit too rigid. You know, he, he didn't give somebody the second chance. I don't think that we need to assess blame. Uh, and the second lesson we can learn, godly men will have differences of opinion. Folks, we might be godly. And Paul and Barnabas were godly, but they were still men. And as long as we're in this flesh, we're going to have disagreements. That happens in a church staff. That happens on the mission field. I one time went to visit one of our missionaries uh, in, on the mission field, and I noticed that their partner in that, they didn't agree with them on some things, and I could see that, but they still worked together, and they had disagreements of opinion. That happens in church too. And you probably realize that in your journey through various churches you attended where they, the church couldn't agree and they had uh, differences of opinion on things like that. Well, they may have disagreements and Paul and Barnabas even had to part company because they had a different goal. They, 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 were, so, they were so intense on what they wanted that they had to leave. But even if that happens, I don't believe Paul and Barnabas were, were yelling at each other. I don't believe that they parted with bad uh, words between them. As a matter of fact, you find that Paul and Barnabas did understand later because Paul writes in the epistles to, in Timothy, bring Mark with me, with you, because he's profitable for the ministry. You see, Mark made good. Uh, remember, there's four gospels, and one of them were written by Mark, and this is the guy who, who, uh, failed on that first missionary journey. But you see, Paul and Barnabas had disagreements, but they still could be friends. And that is so important lesson that we need to have. I don't know if you've ever had disagreements with someone. How did you part? Was it, 
Was it with bad words? Was it with a temper tantrum? Was it with something? God can heal those things, even if we disagree on things, because we need to remember that before anything else, we are followers of Jesus Christ, and we are required by Him to be Christ-like with our attitude and Christ-like with our words. So Paul and Barnabas had this agreement, but there's another lesson we can learn. Barnabas was used to restore John Mark to fruitful ministry. Barnabas was willing to take a risk on Mark, and it turned out well, and even Paul acknowledged that later. I tell you, one of the things that Barnabas was, he was not willing to give up on this guy. He was willing to go back to him and says, Mark, come on, come on. I know, I don't know what happened. Well, he probably knew what was happening, but we don't know what happened. But he's, he was willing to give him another chance. I tell you, aren't you glad that God gave you another chance? Can you remember someone like a Barnabas coming to you that took, took you under their wing and tried to help you to stand up and walk straight again? I tell you, we need more Barnabas people like that. There's another lesson. How God can use this Now there's two mission teams. God changes his workmen, but his work goes right on. Now there were two missionary teams instead of one. If God had to depend on perfect people to accomplish his work, he would never get anything done, would he? I tell you, he would not get anything done in this church too, because I don't know of any perfect people. If I look in the mirror, I still wouldn't see one, you know, because we all have have faults and failures, but God can even use our weaknesses and our mess-ups and turn us around, and look what he did. Well, it was going to be Paul and Barnabas going on the second missionary journey, but God used that dispute between the two. Now there's, there's double the missionary work being done, and now God is getting more glory for himself, even using the dispute that is there. Well, let's look at uh, verses 1 through 5 of chapter 16, because the next step in, in this process is they're back on the road again. They're visiting the, revisiting the churches. Now, what was the need for this? Well, Paul said, we want to see how they're doing. It was a definite concern for the spiritual growth and the strengthening of those believers who were already saved. And I think that should be our, our priority here too. Not just seeing people get saved, but to see them strengthened in the Lord, growing in the things of God, learning more about Him, being more faithful to the Lord. And that's what Paul wanted to do. Well, notice the first place that they go to on this missionary journey in verse 6. Now, when they had gone through Phrygia in the regions of Galatia, they, oh, let me back up to uh, verse one. Then he came to Derby and Lystra. Derby and Lystra. Does that ring a bell with anybody? Derby and Lystra. What happened to Paul there? Didn't he get stoned there? Isn't that where they were so mad at him? It's amazing how, how they went from almost worshiping them as gods and then some people uh, stirred them up, and they were taking them out of the city, and there they stoned Paul. They left him for dead. Now, I don't, I don't know what it would be like to have someone throw rocks at you. 
tomatoes, that would be all right. I mean, you just get stinky. But someone throwing rocks at you, rocks big enough to kill you. And some even think that Paul died there. But he was left for dead because he was, had massive injuries all over his body. And God allowed him to rise up. But you know what he did? He went back to that place. Any of you know what PTSD is? Post-traumatic stress disorder. I think Paul would have had it. I mean, if you almost get killed, you're going to remember that. But he went right back to the place where he was left for dead. It's amazing. He was able to face his fear and get through that. You know, I, I think that's a good point for us. If we're going to get healed emotionally, physically, mentally, sometimes we've got to face the most severe thing that has ever happened to us and get past that. Well, Paul went the first stop on his missionary journey. I'm going to go back there. And I'm going to preach the gospel to them. And he overcame that. You know, there's healing power in facing our fears. Well, let's see what else happened in Lystra and Derby. And that is the Timothy was added to the ministry team. He was probably converted through Paul's ministry when they first visited Lystra. Paul called him my beloved son, my own son in the faith. Now, Timothy probably, uh, Paul led Timothy to the Lord. Timothy's mother and grandmother had prepared the way for his decision by being the first in the family to trust Christ as their Savior. Now, I know that uh, uh, my wife and I were really kind of the first in our families to be genuine believers, but maybe you came to faith because you had a godly mother, a godly father. You came to faith. It was part of your growing up because your grandmother, your grandfather, your ancestors, or your family were rooted in the Word of God, and you were in the shelter of that environment, and it was only natural that you believed the truth from your family. And that's the way it was with Timothy, and I think that's a, it's a wonderful thing that we can do that in our homes to create an atmosphere where the Word of God is honored, where the Lord Jesus Christ is our Lord, and our decisions are are based upon what God's word would say. And Timothy was brought in that kind of family faith. Well, also something else happened to Timothy in these first verses of chapter 16. He was circumcised. Paul had him circumcised. He said, okay, now what did chapter 15 say? <laughs> that, the, that you didn't need to get circumcised. You didn't need to keep the law. And the first uh, thing that he does on his Second missionary journey is he has Timothy circumcised. Well, we've got to understand the situation because Timothy's father was a Greek. Now, simply saying that he was not a believer. He was not Jewish, and he hadn't come to faith in Christ. And so Timothy wasn't circumcised according to, you know, the Jewish laws and things. And you know, when Paul's ministry began, he is still going to the synagogues. That's his first stop. And they all knew Timothy, and they all knew in that area, the regions of Lystra and Iconium, knew that he was not a Jewish individual by, uh, by circumcision. So they had Timothy circumcised so that when they would come into the synagogues to preach the word of God, that they wouldn't throw him out. 
and it would be a hindrance to their evangelistic ministry. So this was nothing to do with you know, keeping the law or anything like that. It was just simply so that the gospel can continue to go forward. That's like if you go to a country where everyone is wearing a certain kind of clothes, you know, and you come out with a suit and tie, you know, to try to minister to them, and they say, who is that weird guy? What is he wearing that for? You know, you dress like the natives, you know. Well, as long as you have clothes on, that, that's very important. <laughs> you know, I've got to be careful with what I say. <laughs> Next point. The churches were growing in strength and in numbers. We see that in verse 4 and 5. The churches were growing when Paul would stop in these churches revisiting them. They would give report of what the Jerusalem council had said, that the Gentiles that come to faith don't have to be circumcised. They don't have to keep the law of Moses. And everybody was happy, and they were growing in numbers. They were growing in churches. Well, let's look at verses 6 through 10, because here on this second missionary journey, we have what has been classically called the Macedonia vision. Verse 6, now when they had gone through Phrygia and the region of Galatia, they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. After they'd come to Mysia, they tried to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit did not permit them. What is this closed door to service about? After visiting the churches that he had founded, Paul tried to enter some new territory for the Lord. Everything was going fine. They're traveling east, and now they're attempting to go north into what is called Asia. You say, well, Asia, you're thinking of Asia. You're thinking of China and Japan and Korea. No, this is not that Asia. This is Asia Minor, and that would be modern-day Turkey. And it would be like the churches in Revelation, those churches of Ephesus and Pergamum and Philadelphia. It would be that area. And they were attempting to go up there, and they thought that everything's going that way, and we'll just go there. But somehow the Spirit said, no, you can't do that. And then they were said, well, okay, we're, we can't do that. Let's go into Bithynia. And then again, the Holy Spirit closed the door. What in the world is this? Everything is going fine. And now imagine the disappointment that Paul and his missionary team, perhaps they even were a little discouraged. So how do these hindrances, um, how, why they were not allowed to go there is only in God's mind. It was just not the time yet. Later on, they would go into Asia and they'd go into Bithynia. But right now, we don't know how the Holy Spirit closed the door. Perhaps he had another vision, or perhaps some circumstances that befell them didn't allow them to get across whatever barrier there was. And so these closed doors must have come as a great surprise to the missionary team. You know, it's, it's encouraging that even these first apostles had, had some difficulties here. I don't know if you've ever experienced what we call a closed door. Maybe you thought that a certain job was opening up for you and you were all excited about it and all of a sudden, boom, couldn't do it. Maybe you were pursuing a relationship, uh, 
that you thought was the right person for you, and then boom, that closed. Or maybe you were trying to have a partnership, or maybe some kind of ministry that you were trying to enter, and it was closed. I remember uh, that's happened to me before, pursuing a a church ministry that I thought was what God wanted, and God closed that door. One time when we were in our early 30s, Don and I felt that God wanted us to go to the mission field. We were pursuing and looking into going to Thailand, but boom, very clearly God said no. I mean, that, that might be where you're thinking you ought to go, but this is not where I want you to go at this time. But notice the open doors that the Lord gives them. Finally, they're in Troas, and it says in verse 8, So passing by Mysia, they came down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. Paul has this vision, and God did lead Paul and the early church through dreams and visions. And at this time, he has this vision of a man. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night, a man of Macedonia. Now, Macedonia would be in Greece, northern Greece, uh, in our idea of understanding. But this is a, in, in current geography, it would be in what we would call Europe. It would be the first time that the gospel would go into Europe here. This man of Macedonia stood and pleaded with him, pleaded with Paul, saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. This is what Paul had as a a vision. Now, I, I notice what it says there in that verse, and verse 10 also is really important. Now, after he, meaning Paul, had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go to Macedonia. Now, I want you to know there's a a transition here in verse 10. We sought to go. Who does that we refer to? Luke, the writer of the book of Acts. So, we don't see Luke putting himself in the story until they're in Troas. So, that's probably where... Luke joined the mission team. We see Luke uh, having this also in chapter 20, uh, verses 5 to 15. We have another we passage. And in chapter 27, 1 through uh, uh, chapter 28, we see we passages. But in chapter 17, verse 1, now when they... So when they went to Thessalonica, which is after Philadelphia, Luke's not with them. So it it indicates possibly that Luke could have stayed in Philippi to pastor the church there in Philippi. That's a very real possibility. So, So the team now, right now, is made up of Paul and Silas, Luke, and Timothy. Now, what is this Macedonian vision, and how can we apply it to us today? I think, first of all, a Macedonian vision takes vision. Paul, what did he see? It was Europe. Europe was opening up before him, but Paul did not see sparkling new cities as calling him to that field. Paul did not see a temperate climate or interesting recreational opportunities or wonderful shopping and new foods or opportunities to make money. He saw a man, 
a man who is pleading for the gospel. That's what got him the vision. And folks, if we're going to have any call or any vision or any opportunity to reach uh, to start ministries, it's got to be about people who need the Lord, people who need to grow, people who need to be fed the Word of God. That's what it starts with, not with interesting things to do in this new mission field. No, it's all about people. It's all about people. The second thing that it takes is energy. Notice what it says in these verses, verse 10. It says, now after he'd seen the vision, immediately we sought to go. Now, Think of that word sought. That means to, we, we started working on this. We are looking for opportunities how to get there. It takes energy. It wasn't like Dorothy in the Wizard of Oz that she wanted to go to back to Kansas and all she did there, she just said, there's no place like home. Clicking her heels. I can't really do that with these shoes. <laughs> Clicking her heels three times. I just want to go home. I mean, no. Paul and Silas and Barnabas and Timothy, they had to make preparations. They had to get ready to go. They had to find a boat. I mean, there was the GNC that they had to cross there uh, into Macedonia. They, they probably had to make sure they had enough food. They had, had to make sure they had enough money to pay things. So they had to make all these arrangements, just kind of like a missionary on his pre-field ministry. He's got to raise money. He's got to get his barrels packed. He's got to get all these things done. And it takes energy. It's not just say, oh, Lord, just land me in that field. No, you got to work for it. There is the call of God. There is that vision, but there's also the energy that it takes in the planning and preparation. And there's also the calling that the Lord called us to preach the gospel to them, assuredly gathering, concluding that the Lord had called us to preach the gospel to them. You know, my friend, I believe God still gives us Macedonian visions today. I believe he still calls his people to reach other people for the gospel of Jesus Christ. We just need to hear it. We need to listen to it. A lot of times we just kind of shut it out. I read a story about a little church in Germany that was back in World War II. It was situated near the train tracks that carried the Jews to the concentration camps. Each Sunday morning, the German man telling the story said, we could hear the whistle in the distance and then the wheels coming over the tracks and we became disturbed when we heard the cries coming from the train as it passed by the church. We realized that it was carrying Jews like cattle in the cars. Week after week, the whistle would blow. We dreaded to hear the sound of those wheels because we knew that we would hear the cries of the Jews en route to the death camp. Their screams tormented us. We knew that the time the train was coming, and we heard the whistle blow, we began to sing our hymns. And by the time the train came past our church, we were singing at the top of our voices. We heard the screams, so we sang more loud, and soon we could hear them no more. The man said, years have passed, and no one talks about it much anymore, but I still hear that train whistle in my sleep. I can still hear them crying out for help. And here we sit in our comfortable building, singing our songs. We eat our food. We enjoy our fellowship. 
And we refuse to walk out these doors into the mission field with a vision, hearing the call, come over and help us. Let's pray. Father, Lord, I pray that you would give each one of us a vision for those who are lost. The lost are crying out and they're pleading empty hearts. Come, tell me how I can feel the emptiness of my soul. Someone, please come over and help us to find God. I pray that God, wherever we go and whatever we do, that you would give us a vision. I pray for our church, Lord. As we search for an associate pastor, may it be all about hearing these young families that need the Lord and these children that need to be taught the Word of God. May we have a vision of people that need to be reached for Christ. Oh, God, give us that vision as well. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together.